If you've uh, read or watched any history, it looks nothing like strength or power. Not like the stallions pulling Pharaoh's chariots through Egypt. So humble in comparison, you might say, no legion of soldiers following, no battalion marching after him, armed to the teeth, he rides alone down the slope on the back of a donkey. He passes olive trees with their twisting trunks and crooked branches like weathered aging skin. The way is steep and he shifts his weight side to side as the pack animal slowly places each hoof. So humble, you might say. Sure, but this, th this is kingly. The crowds, they spread out their cloaks on the road, palm branches cut from the fields. They lay them across the rocky earth to soften the path for the donkey and the king. This is more than just an act of honor. This is an acknowledgement. And thank God they didn't have smartphones because somebody is definitely gonna say, look at me, look at me, look at me. I better post this on Instagram. Caption, surrender to win, hashtag blessed, hashtag servant, hashtag like my pick, please. You got it with my cloak on the ground there, right? Like me like laying down my life. Uh, so humble, I know. Oh, we, you wanna get one more? We can get one with like some poor kids in the background too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Hide a low. Hide a low, please. Filter, touch up, contrast, post. Man, I am so servant hearted. Glad I came out today for the triumphal entry or whatever. It's great content. I really am something else. 50 likes on Facebook already? Whew. That's what I'm talking about. Man, I am good. You know, out of the top five most annoying things that people do, like when I talk on speakerphone in a crowded environment, loud and clear for all to hear, you know who you are. <laughs> or when I, I pick my nose in public, or better yet, pick my teeth in public. Or when I clip my toenails at Starbucks. Or when I leave a solitary flake on that roll of toilet paper. I guess whoever's up on deck uh, is using the towel. But I gotta say, out of all of that, the most annoying thing that people can do, or I'll just say the most annoying thing that I can do is when I boast about myself. Man, I, I don't care if it's like I'm just flaunting all my fancy stuff, hand-me-down flannel and some holy vans, or if it's that I steer every conversation just to talk about me and all my achievements and my accomplishments, or even if it's just humble bragging. 
there's nothing more, more, uh, more annoying than when I boast about myself. But at the same time, it is the way of our crazy world. The squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? So you got to make a name for yourself. Got to make a name for yourself. Gain, gain respect, rise to the top, climb to fame, become known, garner a reputation and recognition. And so the Apostle Paul tries it out, tries his hand at it in 2 Corinthians. He says, since others boast about their human achievements, uh, I, I, I will too. Today we continue our sermon series called The Upside Down Kingdom. And during this, ki- during this sermon series, we're taking a long, hard look at our lives and asking a simple question, what kingdom am I living for? A kingdom where the first are first, and it's all about my power and my wealth and status and control, my recognition, or God's upside down kingdom, where the least are the greatest and our lives are shaped by the cross. We've talked about status and how the cross must become everything that means anything about my status. We've talked about how just because something is difficult, it doesn't mean it's not good. And last week, Jeff talked about how in God's upside-down kingdom, it's strange, but poverty is the source of generosity. And this week, we're exploring some seemingly bogus idea that weakness is strength. It all seems upside down, inside out, backward to the ways of the world, how the way up is down, the first are last, the last are first, the least are the greatest, the poor are rich, the rich are poor. You gain life by losing it. You are exalted when you are humble. You rule, reign, and lead by serving. You receive by giving, and your weakness is strength. These are all paradoxes that show us what it means to follow Jesus. And they seem absurd. That's what a paradox is. It's something that seems absurd, but it's actually true. And here's one more paradox to add to the list. The more you try to impress people, (laughs) the less impressed they'll be. And sure, everybody says, like, stop trying to impress people. Just be yourself. (laughs) Just be yourself, man. But when you just focus on yourself and just being yourself, showing everyone yourself and telling everyone about yourself, aren't you back at just trying to impress people about yourself? Boasting is the way of our crazy world. And so the Apostle Paul tries his hand at it in 2 Corinthians. He's a former enemy of the church who's turned into a passionate Jesus follower. And he's writing to this church that he planted off the coast of Greece called Corinth. And they're in turmoil again, but he writes to assure them of his love and commitment to them. He says, since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. But notice how he boasts, starting in verse 24, a couple of verses down. Check out these achievements here. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. 
lashes, a glowing achievement, right? And it happened five different times. So boastworthy. Nothing more glamorous than to have your clothes torn open, your body exposed for an oxtail whip or a strap of leather cowhide to make a mess of your skin. (laughs) Three different times I was beaten with rods, this time at the hands of the Romans. Once I was stoned. And this was in Acts chapter 14. This angry mob surrounds Paul and they begin to hurl rocks and stones at him. And they they knock him unconscious. They think he's dead. And so they drag him out of the city and leave him there in the dirt to die. They thought he was dead. But then the believers come and they surround him just looking down. What do we do? Uh, I don't know, throw him in a cave or bury him. And all of a sudden Paul gets up and walks back into the city. Three times, I was shipwrecked. Gotta pick a different cruise line, bro. Like one time, I get it. Twice, come on. But three times, shipwrecked. Once, I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles, who are are non-Jews. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. Yep, everywhere. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Paul's talking here about the daily pressure. And there's something profound right here in what he's saying something that I think that we can identify with, that someone in here today can identify with. Paul is talking about being overwhelmed and full of anxiety. And he is unashamed, unashamedly declaring this. I'm a nervous wreck, in other words. I have my daily burden for my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? In other words, I feel you. When you're at the end of your rope, when you're about ready to give up, I I feel that in my bones. I feel that desperation. Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aratus kept guards at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. Sounds adventurous. Exciting, right? No, I'm a grown man having to belay the city walls in a basket. What am I, baby Moses? This is embarrassing. And yet this is his boast. These are his achievements his accolades, his credentials. Let me, let me put it on a list for you. Paul's beaten, broken, blistered, aching, bad at picking cruise lines, scarred, shamed, endangered, tired, conflicted, threatened, frustrated, hungry, cold, poor, a nervous wreck who's burdened and having every reason for embarrassment by all definitions, weak. Hmm. 
I don't know when uh, you had your last interview for a job or, you know, volunteer position, the interview. I, I hope it went well. Uh, beforehand, I, I bet you polished up the resume, you know, like we all do. Inflate our achievements, minimize our flaws. We all do it. I mean, who dares to put anything less than sterling silver on their resume? Who really dares to be honest? Well, I, I actually found one, an honest resume. And at the top, it reads in all caps, E-R-I-C, Eric. Objective, to claw my way to the top using any means necessary. I don't know where the voice came from, but we're going to run with it. But then be a fair and just ruler and bring your company to new heights or whatever. <laughs> Personal attributes, cat-like reflexes. Now you see me, meow you don't. Possible ESP, extrasensory perception, like a, a sixth sense. Knows when to hold, knows when to fold. <laughs> Kenny Rogers fan, apparently. Emits pleasant aroma or aromas. Horse-like laugh, optional. Extremely proficient in Mario Kart for Super Nintendo. Not bad at sexy dancing. 29 years old, but have the facial hair of a 13-year-old. Can eat a lot at one sitting. Oh, also, I can moonwalk quite well. <laughs> Experience. I am quite experienced with the McDonald's menu. One time I rode a horse, but it bucked me off. I was injured and ended up gaining like 30 pounds, but then I shed the weight like snakeskin. Very fast metabolism. I have enough knowledge to write an essay on pretty much any subject without researching it. Acne Lancer. <laughs> life coach. <laughs> I like how he puts that first before the life coach thing. Oh, education, finished high school by the skin of my teeth, 1999. Spent most of my time daydreaming out the window, but if you hire me, things will be different, I swear. Reference, Eric, who better to tell you about me than me? Holla. <laughs> wow, honest, I'll, I'll give you that, Eric. But not as honest as Paul, I think. Sure, Paul doesn't list cat-like reflexes or experience with the McDonald's menu. In fact, none of the things that Paul mentions are glamorous or admirable or praiseworthy by any worldly standards. But actually, in God's upside-down kingdom, strangely, they are. And oh, you know, this is just the beginning. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. What the third heaven? I, I don't know. Paul doesn't seem to know either. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. It was crazy. But I do know... I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. 
That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. I'm not trying to impress you. By all definitions, I'm weak. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was giving a, given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Like no idea what this is. Some, some say it's like a stutter, a lousy eyesight maybe, a two-year-old, uh, or some health condition. Maybe it's, that was a joke, but that's all right. <clears throat> Jeff often doesn't get laughs either, so <laughs> at least we're equaling the playing field. Maybe it's like opposition. I don't know. But three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Uh, real quick, um, let's give our friends a hand. They came all the way to church with the kids. This is not embarrassing. This is not uncomfortable. This is okay. There's this amazing thing that happened when I became a parent where I can just like tune some stuff out sometimes. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes it's my wife, but it should be the kids. But honestly, that is okay. If you've got babies crying, if you've got kids, whatever, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. So Paul's got this thorn, whatever it may be. Uh, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. Like, I, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't, I don't know everything. And that's okay. By all definitions, I'm weak. And this isn't a bragamony. Paul's just telling the truth. Paul says, to be honest with you, boasting about my degrees or my accolades and esteem, it's worthless. It's worthless. It pales in comparison to boasting about my weaknesses. Because all the shiny stuff, the degrees and accolades and the esteem, it's fecal matter. That's what Paul calls it, scubalon in his letter to the Philippians. It's trash, it's filth, it's dung. My achievements are fecal matter compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And my weakness is far more reason to boast. It's boast-worthy because, not just because I'm like such a screw-up or anything, but because my weaknesses, as weak as they are, they have purpose. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ, this is the, the point right here, the purpose of your weakness, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am Strong, Or you could also translate that for whenever I am weak, strong, I am. And oh, the strength, the, the security and the relief that comes with weakness. Like, I don't have to prove myself. I don't, I don't have to prove a thing. So I can stop comparing. 
I can stop striving. I can stop craving the affirmation and approval and recognition from others. Like, what's the point of boasting about myself so people can be marginally impressed for five minutes? I mean, 50 years after I die, no one will remember my name or the car I drove or the clothes I wore or the school I went to or any of that. Paul refuses to boast about his accomplishments, his credentials, or his success, because that's not what following Jesus is about. Instead, he boasts about how weak and how flawed he is, because in those inadequacies, he discovers the mercy and the power of Jesus. His weakness is a sign of Jesus's strength, for Jesus's power is made perfect in weakness. While the world boasts of wealth and power, when you encounter the cross of Jesus, you know, like, man, my only boast is in weakness. That's it. Because there is the grace of God made strong, weak, in order to actually be made strong. I have a a friend named Eric. Uh, Not Eric from the resume. Different guy. (laughs) I wish I knew that, dude. But, but Eric, for, it must have been 14, 15 years ago now, tall guy, spiky hair, tattoos, piercings, the tattoos up and down his arms, all over. I mean, awesome tattoos. He always told me, like, cool tattoos aren't cheap, and cheap tattoos aren't cool. <laughs> That's why you don't see me all tatted up. Uh, but he, he had these awesome tattoos of, like, skulls and, I don't know, clovers and Jesus. And and he had one on his left arm that I'll I'll never forget, uh, a verse from the Bible, Galatians, which was another letter of Paul's, Galatians 2.20. And it reads this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And Eric was a, a mentor to me. And it was in every way. We played in a band together. We went to church together. We'd play hockey and surf. I mean, I was at his house in Somas so often I should have been paying rent. But it was amazing to have this opportunity to spend time with him. I remember just sitting on his couch one day, just having a good time, and he rolls over onto a pile of pokey toenail clippings that his roommate had left there for him, apparently. And he was so annoyed at it. So you've got this fierce guy, but then you've got this tender, loving guy at the same time. He taught me so much about worship. I I didn't even know how to play guitar on beat. And he's like, yeah, there's like rhythm in music. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. But he was so cool in every way so that I mean, you, there's, there's cool people who are cool, and then you don't feel cool because they're so cool. But he's so cool, but the way he was so cool was that he made you feel, even as, as like, dorky as you may feel, or insecure as you may feel, or awkward, he made you feel really cool, too. 
And I remember one night before a worship service, we were gathered for prayer together, and he points out this verse that we've been looking at in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. But I remember it was from a, a different translation, the NIV, New International, and it reads like this. My grace is sufficient. That means like enough or perfect or plenty. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And I remember Eric pointing out, notice, it's not your power. But God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And it's not just in your weakness, but it's in weakness in general. Like all weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. But how do, how do we actually see God's power being made perfect in weakness? How, how do we see that? A few weeks later, Eric is barreling down the icy slopes of, of Mountain High on a snowboard. And with excessive speed and power, he was a really good snowboarder, he hits this jump and just sails into the air, just like every other time, right? But super high up into the air. And for some reason, he gets off kilter a little bit. His body begins to rotate and then stop rotating. He loses momentum in the air and he's unable to recorrect. And so he, he begins to flap his arms, right? Trying to stabilize, trying to turn or move or do something. But his, his movement and force is shooting him forward. And all he can do is flap. He looks like a flailing bird as he crashes down right on his spine. They do surgery that night. And they insert a, a metal rod into his back. But he's paralyzed from the waist down. By all definitions, weak. But years, years later, in 2016 or something, he writes this. I can't believe it's been eight years, almost to the minute. At least as far as I can tell, I remember the night I broke my back vividly. The pain, the confusion, the look on my friends' faces, the paramedic in the long ambulance ride, the endless doctors and nurses, feeling alone, scared, lost in the tiny MRI tube, praying to God. That night changed my life forever. But as awful as that event was, I can't help but think of all the good that's come from it. I love my life. I feel deeply blessed. It's weird, almost like it was my legs that were holding me back while I chased after things I thought would make me happy, only to be found wanting. Sometimes we question God as if he doesn't know what he's doing or as if he doesn't know what's good for us. Tragedy is real. Unfortunately, it is common to the human experience. But maybe it's the catalyst that draws us into a deeper relationship with God, to a place of complete surrender, total trust, believing that his plan and his way are the best. Wherever you find yourself today, know there is a God who is madly in love with you and will not stop pursuing you. He desires for you to have life and have it in abundance if you would only surrender to him. Hmm. So how, how do we actually see God's power being made perfect 
Well, I think maybe right here in weakness. And I don't really know how to explain it. I don't really know how to explain it. Maybe it's one of those things that you can't explain. You just have to experience. It's something upside down and foreign to everything I know about the ways of our crazy world. Okay, so surrender, surrender. But, but surrender, that, that's giving up. Surrender is giving in. That's weakness. Exactly. You are never stronger than when you surrender to Jesus. Okay, so I surrender. My will, my dreams, my plans, my focus is completely surrendered to you, God. I surrender to you today with all my, my heart and soul. I invite you into my heart in a deeper way. I say yes to you today. I open all the secret places of my heart to you and say, come on in, Jesus. You are Lord of my whole life. I believe in you and receive you as my Lord and Savior. I hold nothing back. I surrender all to you, my time, my treasures, my talents, my health, my family, my money, my work, my relationships, my time management, successes, and failures. I release it and let it go. I surrender my control, my choices, and my will. I surrender to you the promises I have kept and the promises I have failed to keep. I surrender my weaknesses and strengths to you. I surrender my emotions, my fears, my insecurities, my sexuality, my identity. I especially surrender. Holy Spirit, help us to fill in that blank. Lord, I surrender my whole life to you, the past, the present, and the future, in sickness and in health, in life and in death. I belong to you. And when you and I are weak enough to surrender, God's power is made strong. It's made perfect. And that does something in us and around us, something upside down in our crazy world. Now, if you've read any history or watched any history, it looks nothing like strength or power, nothing like the stallions pulling Pharaoh's chariots through Egypt. So humble, you might say, he rides alone down the slope on the back of a donkey. This, this is kingly. In the ancient Near East, leaders would ride horses if they went to war but donkeys if they came in peace. Rather than riding to conquer, this king is entering in peace, not as some political conqueror, but as a servant ruler, savior king. And the crowds, they spread their valuable cloaks on the ground and palm branches cut from the fields. This is more than just an act of honor. This is an acknowledgement. Not look at me, but look at he. Look at he. He is Jesus. He is the King of Kings, the promised Messiah. And this surrender, in this surrender, the people, they shout, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the King. He is the Messiah. He is the Mighty One. He is the Son of God who has come to save the world. He is, I am who I am. That's the title of God. We get it from back in Exodus. Simply put, I am. And everything he said, it's true. 
I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the great I am. And you know what's mind-blowing? When we begin to surrender everything to God, to the great I am, who is it that the world sees? In the weakness of our surrender, saying, I can't do this life alone. I am inadequate and ill-equipped and incapable. In fact, I'm broken, blistered, aching, scarred, shamed, tired, conflicted, threatened, frustrated, a nervous wreck who's burdened by all definitions, weak. But as I learn not to boast about myself and only in my weakness, I realize I don't care if squeaky wheels get the grease. I don't care about gaining respect or rising to the top. Why do I need to make a name for myself when the only name that matters is Jesus Christ? The great I am. 2 Corinthians 12, 10. You got to read it in the original Greek. I think it makes more sense. This is how it reads. Hotan gar asteno tote dunatas eimi. Okay, it doesn't make sense. It's all Greek to me, right? But this is how it reads in a wooden translation, word for word. This is how it reads. For whenever I am weak, then strong eimi. Then strong I am. For whenever I am weak, then strong I am. Wait, 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 wait. But who, who is? Who is? Is Paul talking about himself as I am, or is this a title, the title, I am, he's using to talk about God? For whenever I am weak, then strong I am, or strong I am? Well, just think about it. In your weakness and in your surrender, who is it that the world sees? Uh, definitely not your strength. <laughs> in your weakness and in your surrender, when you lay it all down, all the striving, all the pursuit of you, when you lay it all down, the time and treasures and talents and health and family and the money, when you surrender all and truly surrender every ounce, every hope, every dream, every desire, when your only boast is in your weakness, who is it that they will see? For whenever I am weak, then strong I am. It's not me. It's him, the great I am. And before we continue in worship, before the kids come in for their Palm Sunday parade, this remembering of the triumphal entry where, where the people are surrendering their, their, their cloaks before Jesus, where they're, they're falling down before him as he rides down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem where he will suffer and die and rise. But before the kids come in and before we wonder what sort of surrendering people we intend to be, I gotta tell you, I don't know what it is about middle children. But our two-year-old, Etta Willow, is a spitfire. I mean, just look at her. Like, who in their right minds let their two-year-old play Mortal Kombat 4? 
a few weeks ago, I was having one of those, one of those long days, you know, one of those, just a rough day. I felt worn out, irritated, frustrated, feeling selfish, feeling, by all definitions, weak. And it's the bedtime routine, and uh, I, I'm laying in the bottom bunk with her. Her brother Zeke's up top, and, and usually the routine is we sing a song, say goodnight, love you so, so much. But uh, before I can even start singing a song to her, she takes my head in her hands, her stubby little fingers caressing my beard, and she starts to sing to me. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And in that moment, I, I never felt weaker. I wondered, is this what hospice is like? Will we be here, hopefully years and years from now, doing the same? But then she shuffles onto her next karaoke song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little one to him belong, they are weak. They are weak, but he is strong. I never felt so weak and so strong at the same time. For whenever I am weak, then strong I am, not me, but he. And maybe that's what you and I both need to know today. That yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so.